And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Paul Kangor. He teaches at Grove City College, and uh, we've had him on before. Dr. Kangor, it's an honor to talk with you again today. Uh, well, thank you, Dan. I, I always enjoy doing your show, and thank you for Redeemer Broadcasting and all that you do. Well, there's a lot to talk about today. I don't even know where to begin, but um, before we open the mic, you mentioned that there is a film coming out uh, called The Divine Plan. Can you give us just a brief sketch of that? Sure, and and that the website is www.thedivineplanmovie.com, uh, thedivineplanmovie.com. So it, it actually debuts in about a thousand theaters across the country on November sixth. It is it's being released at this time, November twenty nineteen, for the thirtieth anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. It's a film documentary about Ronald Reagan and Pope John Paul II, what they did together, how they worked together to defeat atheistic Soviet communism. And and these two men both talk about how they believe that, that they were part of a larger divine plan. And it wouldn't surprise people to know that a pope thought that way, but, but here we had a president who it was a very religious man who thought that way as well. And, and he used that phrase, divine plan. He used it so often, Dan, that, that Bill Clark, who was maybe Ronald Reagan's closest aide, one of his closest spiritual partners, and I knew Clark well because I became his biographer, he told me that, that, that Ronald Reagan spoke so often of the divine plan that he, he abbreviated it. He called it the DP. Oh, my. The DP. And, yeah. And he would even, Clark and Reagan would be talking, and, and, and Clark would say, say Ron. You know, we called him on a first name. They knew each other back to the 1960s. He would say, that is just an amazing confluence of events, an amazing coincidence that, how could that be? And, and, and Reagan would smile and he'd say, well, it's the DP, Bill, it's the <laughs> DP. So they, they, they thought about it that intimately, that frequently. And in the case of Ronald Reagan and John Paul II, these were two men that were both shot. They, they, they were shot by would-be assassins. Ronald Reagan, March 30th, 1981, and John Paul II only six weeks later, May 13th, 1981. A, a lot of people, and I know Dan, I know you remember it, a lot of people know that those two men were shot, but a lot of people forget today is that it was only six weeks apart. It's amazing. They, they both, yeah, and they both really should have bled to death. For, for Reagan, the bullet missed his main aortal valve by a few centimeters. Mm. For John Paul II, the main abdominal artery by a few centimeters. They both required massive transfusion. John Paul II was even given last rites as he was rushed into the hospital to, to go into surgery by, by Father Stanislav Zivich, who's now a cardinal in the Catholic Church, and a Polish cardinal. He's still alive today. He was a young man when this happened. And they both believed, as they said to one another about a year later, June 1982, when they met together at the Vatican for one hour in the Vatican Library, one-on-one, -on -one, they confided to one another that they believed that God had spared their lives for a special purpose, a divine plan, which was to work together to defeat atheistic Soviet communism. Oh, that's really neat. They sensed a calling. 
They did. They, they absolutely did. And you know, Ronald Reagan had learned from the time that he was a little boy raised by his mother, Nell, Nell Reagan. And, and boy, is this, is this a case of a, of a mother who, who made a president? Wow. Uh, in, in fact, my, my, my first book, uh, God and Ronald Reagan, I dedicated it to Nell Reagan, Ronald Reagan's mother. That's neat. And, and she had taught, yeah, she had taught him since he was a little boy. She said, Ronnie, all, all things that happen, including bad things, these things can, can be put there by a loving God. And if you're faithful and you're faithful to God, God can work this for a positive purpose. Amen. Even the bad things that happen to you. Yeah, she really, she really inculcated that deep into the marrow of his bones. He really believed that. So, so he and John Paul II both saw those shootings and the survival as, as providential. There must be a purpose to this. And they decided that God was calling on them to, to dedicate their, their lives, the presidency, the papacy, for this goal of trying to defeat Soviet communism, and in particular, and this is what Ronald Reagan said to John Paul II, imagine, imagine a non-Polish, non-Catholic president saying this to the Polish Catholic Pope. He said to him, he, he, said, he said, Holy Father, hope remains. It remains in Poland, in your country, in Poland. We, working together, can keep it alive. Oh, that's and neat. they believe that Poland, yeah, Poland could be the wedge. To, to split the entire Soviet communist bloc. So they dedicated themselves to that effort. Uh, I wrote a book on this. It came out in 2017 called A Pope and a President, and that inspired the filmmaker Robert Orlando to do a film on it, and where he interviewed about over a dozen people. And that film is, is called The Divine Plan, and, and so it releases here in November 2019. So uh, go to the website and, and look for a location near you because with a thousand theaters around the country, believe me, anybody listening to this show, there's there's probably a location somewhere near you. Oh, that's really neat. I'm so glad that you mentioned this. And um, that kind of leads right into this 30th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. Now, there's many younger people that means almost nothing to them. I'm not sure it's even taught about in schools too much. But can you describe that to our listeners, Dr. Ken Gore? Well, that's right. And, and especially, Dan, in schools where the most common textbook in public schools, which is not a textbook, but a, a trade book, really actually a propaganda book, is, uh, is Howard Zinn's uh, People's History of the United States. They're not learning this. They're not learning this at all. In fact, they're learning that America was not an exceptional country, that, that it was a racist country, an imperialist country, a, a colonial country, and an entire generation of modern Americans, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who was four weeks, four weeks old, Dan, when the Berlin Wall fell. Oh, my. <laughs> she, was born, she was born October 1989. She, she, was, she was nursing at her mother's breast. When, when the Berlin Wall fell. And so what they know about the fall of the Berlin Wall is not what they experienced and watched on television That's and lived right. through, but, but, but what they're reading in, in books like Zinn's book and others, and which is why today they are quote-unquote self-identified, self-identified quote-unquote democratic socialists. That's right, and, yeah. And they're running around, yeah, they're running around saying, well, what's wrong with socialism? 
and really what's even wrong with communism? Is it really all that bad? And, you know, and was America really all that good? And they seem very similar. Well, that's right. They are very similar. In fact, Vladimir Lenin and, and Trotsky and Joseph Stalin, the Troika that made up the, the Bolsheviks who founded the Soviet Union, they, they were part of the Social Democratic Party of Russia. That's there what it was go. called. It was called the, the Russian Social Democratic Labor Party. They, they were social democrats. They were democratic socialists before, to be specific, in the year 1903. They all met and they split into the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. So, but, okay. but you know, they were social democrats. They were democratic socialists. And, and our modern social democrats and democratic socialists who, who either say positive things about communism or maybe some of them are a little bit better say, well, you know, we're, we're not communists. I mean, we're not Stalinists or Leninists. We never want to do that. We never want to do what the Bolsheviks did. But, well, they're not aware of this, this deeper history of and the really terrible roots and baggage that that so-called democratic socialism truly has. Yeah, and uh, this uh, 30th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall, now uh, that was a physical wall, right? That's right. And, and the mere fact that communism had to put up a literal wall, a cement wall with, with barbed wire over top of it, with landmines all around it, Controlled by East German police, and you know, for Americans today, who when they think of a wall, they think of, of a border wall in the United States to keep people from entering because everybody in the world wants to come to America. That's true. I mean, this was a wall. Yeah, this was a wall between West and East Berlin that wasn't intended to keep people out because nobody wanted to go in. Right? No one was trying. <laughs> no one was coming from the West. Trying, trying to get into into this wonderful, glorious, you know, free healthcare and everything else, communism and 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 Eastern European socialism. That wall was put up to keep the inhabitants, the the citizenry, from escaping. Did it work? So yeah, you know, that, that that yeah, that wall should tell you all you need to know about about their system. <laughs> it's um, it's it yeah, it it, it did work. There were there were many people who tried to escape over the wall. A decent number of people did, and at least a few hundred people were were, were killed try, trying trying to go mm-hmm. over the wall. But but they the communists decided that they had to put up a wall because prior prior to that dam, hundreds of thousands of people were escaping through a through a, through a wallless. Um, you know, border between between West and East Berlin. They they would use that passageway to get into the West. It must be some feeling for a people that have been under a socialist communist regime when they're finally when they finally get their freedom. Can you describe how those people feel? Yeah, well, it, you you heard it from so many people who who survived the Soviet Union, and you know, I could give, I suppose I could give a lot of examples of it. I, I think back to um, uh, back when I did the God and Ronald Reagan book, I had a chapter called The Evil Empire, and that that chapter was filled with quotations not just from Ronald Reagan's Evil Empire speech, but from from people from the evil empire who were now free to talk because that book came out in 2004 
and they they were lecturing American liberals, saying, "We know that Ronald Reagan called us called our country an evil empire, and you made fun of him. Yes. Why did you make fun of him? We were an evil empire, and and, and thankfully somebody had the courage to say it." Yeah. Oh, yeah. And one one of the one of the things that comes to mind here is how that free speech is squashed in a socialist regime. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the uh, another example I give in that chapter is is Anatoly Sharansky, who who uh, now lives in Israel. He now goes by the name Nathan Sharansky, and he was actually in the Soviet Gulag. When, when they brought him his, his captors, the prison guards, brought him a copy of Pravda, the Soviet newspaper, and, and it, it noted that Ronald Reagan, you know, a warmonger, right, um, saber rattler, had, had called the Soviet Union an evil empire. And the, and the, the prison guards said to Sharansky, they said, here's your hero, Reagan, right? Here's your hero. Look how he wants to start a third world war over this. This is your, this is your hero. <laughs> And the moment that they left, and, and they left Sharansky with Pravda to, to, you know, to think and brood about what a bad guy Reagan was, Sharansky started leaping up and down in his cell, cheering and tapping out in Morse code on the wall next to the other prison inmate. You know, Reagan, 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 Reagan has called the Soviet Union an evil empire, an evil empire. And, and, and people were jumping up and down in the gulag, thrilled. But finally, somewhere, somewhere in the world, somewhere in the free West, and most of all in the United States, a president had the courage to call this system what it really was. That's right. So, so for those people, that was, that was liberating. And they, they, they were thrilled that somebody had the moral conviction and courage to speak that way. You know, what comes to my mind here, as I hear you talking, is there's probably somebody out there saying, well, why are you guys talking about this on a so-called Christian radio station? And right away I'm reminded that Christianity gives freedom to people. You know, the very basis for our Bill of Rights really flows from Christian principles. Well, that's right. And one of Ronald Reagan's favorite verses was from Isaiah. Which, which Jesus quoted when he's there as, as, uh, as a young man in the synagogue. Everybody gathers around him, the scribes, and, and, and they, um, they unroll the Old Testament passage about proclaiming liberty to the captive. And that, that was one of Ronald Reagan's favorite passages. He used to quote that all the time. Yes. And, it, and Reagan, Reagan said in the evil empire speech, in fact, this Dan was the setup to him calling it a, an evil empire, he said, he said, quote, there is sin and evil in the world, and we are enjoined by Scripture and the Lord Jesus to oppose it with all of our might. Yes. And, 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 and that is exactly why he was saying what he was saying in that speech. And, and liberals, the New Republic, the New York Times, Anthony Lewis and others, they made fun of that speech. And in fact, the, the New Republic ripped him as Reverend Reagan. Right? How dare he preach us these sermons about how great America is and how evil other countries are? If you actually read the speech, which was given to the National Association of Evangelicals, Reagan started it by, by saying that, that America has its own legacy of sin as well. He pointed to racism, slavery, anti-Semitism, 
Reagan said, I can't remember a moment in my life when I didn't think that racism was the greatest of sins. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, but in foreign policy, the focus of evil in the modern world is this Soviet regime. We are enjoined by Scripture and the Lord Jesus to speak out against it and oppose it with all of our might. And I would encourage people to to read the speech. He quotes C.S. Lewis in that speech as well. He quotes Whitaker Chamber, and he quotes C.S. Lewis talking about uh, men with polished fingernails and fine suits and cufflinks sitting in their air-conditioned offices, you know, just ignoring all the evil around them. And, and Reagan says, not, that's not the right thing to do. We can't just blithely ignore all of this as, as if everything is well and we're all above it. He said, no, we, we are enjoined by Scripture and the Lord Jesus to speak out and oppose evil with all of our might. And the Soviet Union is the focus of evil in the modern world. Yes. Now, today we're talking with Dr. Paul Kangor, and he teaches at Grove City College. He's in political science there. And uh, Dr. Kangor, you also head up what used to be called the Center for Vision and Values. And what is that? What It has a new name now. Yeah, we now call it the Institute for Faith and Freedom, which is um, a name we've wanted to use for quite a while, Dan. In fact, we even had the faithandfreedom.com website domain name. I think we purchased that six or seven years ago. Neat. So we, we, yeah, we've wanted to transition into that. There's a long history behind the old name and why we kind of went to that as sort of last resort. And, and people, I, in fact, I remember we first started and one uh, good friend of mine, kind of an old evangelical friend, he said, whose vision, whose values, what does that even mean? <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and we, 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 we felt, yeah, it's a little, it's kind of vague. And but what we what we've really always been about is faith and freedom. And here again to quote Ronald Reagan, what Reagan called the twin beacons of faith and freedom that brighten the American sky. And, and and Reagan said that that faith is needed in democracies more than any other type of country, precisely because you have the freedom to do almost anything that you want. Oh yeah. So if you if you don't have yes, yeah, so if you don't have faith to navigate freedom as a rudder, as a kind of a guidance system, then freedom can become self-destructive and can become destructive to others. We see that right now with a lot of our friends on the secular left, progressive left, who are saying things like, like, your religious freedom is not an excuse to discriminate against me because of my views on same-sex marriage. And they say that about people like Jack Phillips, the baker, in Colorado, who says, listen, I don't want to be forced not only to make a, a cake for a same-sex wedding ceremony that violates my religious freedom and freedom of conscience, I decline cake for Halloween. That's right. I decline cakes. Um, someone brought the guy a cake with a, with, a, with a face of Satan on it. He said, I'm not going to make that. That's a violation of my religious freedom. That's right. And Freedom is freedom, and tolerance is tolerance. And tolerance isn't just about tolerating ideas you agree with. That's not tolerance. Tolerance is about the difficult choices of tolerating views that you disagree with. That's right. And our friends on the secular left aren't very good at that. 
No, no, and it gets us back to that free speech thing again. As I recall, one of the candidates running for 2020 attempted to persuade a major news network to censor ads that were being placed by his opponent. That reminds me of other cases where uh, free speech has tried to be throttled or shut down altogether. Yeah, and there, there was just a case in the U.K., of of a doctor who's citing Genesis 127, citing his freedom of religion, citing biblical law, natural law, is is refusing to use the um, the preferred gender pronouns of his patients. He says, "I'm sorry, but you know I'm, I'm a doctor, and you know a male is a male, a female is a female, and by the way." Uh, every uh, biological male and female ought to be thrilled that their doctor is treating them <laughs> according to their biological reality. Or you, should, you should thank the guy for that, all right? Uh, you know, the, you know, a 120-pound girl um, shouldn't want to be go in, go in there for a 200-pound male, yeah. all right? So, but he and the, the tribunal in the U.K. told him that his face is it does not give him the right to discriminate against somebody's gender identity. Oh, so that's, this is exactly the kind of thing that we're fighting against. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, this is fascinating. Uh, before we run out of time here today, we're talking with Dr. Paul Kangor. Um, when you get kids coming in, freshman kids, whatever, new semester, which you've just experienced once again, uh, are some of the kids uh, well-prepared, and are some... Can you describe the kids? What, what you know, without giving away anything personal, uh, what do you see? What kind of kids are coming your way? Well, at Grove City College, I, I, get, I get really good kids, Dan. I get kids mainly from, primarily from um, traditionally Christian homes, uh, conservative, I guess. Although I hate to even use the word conservative because it just sounds political, right? They're just they're just traditional Christians, you know, yes. Bible Christians. And but but I am seeing even with our students that 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 they are you know increasingly influenced by the zeitgeist, the, the spirit of the age, the currents around them. And and in many cases, when I talk about issues like I just talked about with the doctor in the UK or same sex marriage or elsewhere. I increasingly get some dirty looks in the classroom from students who are so saturated by the culture that that they've they've come to believe and think that that you know things like same sex marriage that's something that that no one should speak out against and if you do yes. you're a hater. Now I've yeah you know, I I've never had really anyone no more than a couple people maybe at Grove City College who questioned me or confronted me about that. I think most students are probably on my side with it, but even, even a college like Grove city, we're not immune to it. And which is, which also tells you just how bad it is at other colleges (laughs) where that, where that's completely the dominant point of view. Yeah. Well, uh, in the last minute remaining, if someone wants to go to Grove city and, or read one of your books, can we have some information where they can look you guys up? Oh, well, thanks. Well, well, you can Google the Institute for Faith and Freedom at Grove City College. My name as well, Paul Kengor, K-E-N-G-O-R. You can see our articles there, previous lectures. And, and my books are all posted at Amazon. 
So you could just go to Amazon and type in Paul Kengor books. They're, they're all listed there somewhere. Well, it's always fun to talk with you, and I, I'm amazed how you fit us in. And I, I believe you're driving today, and, and by and large, the signal's been very good, so we've been real fortunate. And Dr. Kangor, we just uh, pray God's blessings on you, your family, your children, and the work that God has called you to. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you very much, Dan. I appreciate it. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer 